Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know Employee Cycle. We're helping all of you HR and people leaders out there stop with the manual, tedious, time-consuming process you call HR reporting. That's right. We know when you're trying to get a data-driven view across your entire workforce, you're logging into all your different systems, ATS, HRIS, engagement, performance, all these different places downloading all these messy spreadsheets and trying to turn that into one data-driven story of your workforce. But we know that it takes a lot of time and you're always thinking there has to be a better way. Well, look no further because that's why Employee Cycle has created your very own people dashboard. We have pre-built connections to the most popular HR systems you're using. Systems like ADP, Bamboo HR, Namely, Trinet, Zenefits, Paylocity, Greenhouse, 15.5, Reflective. Too many for me to say without running out of breath. You simply just connect your HR systems to our people dashboard. We automatically bring in all your data in one unified view so you can view, share, track, and analyze all that people data together. Please go to EmployeeCycle.com, check it out, learn more, and get a demo so we can discuss how we can automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our product because today... I would like for you to help me to welcome a great guest. So please help me welcome to the show, David Friedman. He's the author of Culture by Design, the second edition. He's also the CEO of High Performing Culture. And today we're going to discuss how to create a high performing culture on purpose. David, welcome to the podcast. We got the whole crowd going now. Everybody's going crazy for you over here. (laughs) Great to be with you, Bruce. Awesome. So, David, we're going to kick this thing off the best way we know how, and that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Great question. So, quick little history there, Bruce. So, I spent 27 years as the CEO of a an employee benefits consulting company, which was dealing with similar HR issues uh, in the Philadelphia area, and I built that company. It was called RSI, and I built that company from two people to a little over 100 people. And during the years that I was growing that company, we were very, very successful and thankful to say, but all of our success, I mean, all of it was based upon the culture that we had built in the company. It was, it was completely why people came to work for us, why they stayed with us. I would tell you it was probably half the reason that customers bought from us. I mean, obviously we had the services they were looking for like you, but ultimately it was our people that caused them to say, I'd rather work with you guys than the people down the street. So it was everything. And as the CEO of that company, I did a lot of things in a really intentional way to make that happen. Well, I eventually ended up selling that company to a large multi-billion dollar publicly held company. And then I retired from that industry. And when I retired, the, the creation of the things I did around culture was really the signature of my career to that point. So I knew I would always write a book about that. So this is back in 2011. I wrote my first book, which was called Fundamentally Different. And it was a leadership book about the things I had learned and it taught to so many other people. And I wrote that, honestly, Bruce, as a, as a closure step, as a way of wrapping up my old career in a nice bow so I could put it behind me and do something totally different. But 
as luck would have it, it didn't work out that way. And people started reading the book and they got a lot of value from it. And many of the people who read the book started to say, could you come and speak in our organization? And I started to travel around the country speaking about the things I had written about. And as people heard me, people said, oh, my God, that's really interesting. Could I hire you to help me do that in my company? And next thing I knew, I was very unretired, so I'm not a very good retiree. And uh, so over the last oh, seven, eight years, I've done more than 500 workshops for CEO groups about this material. I have worked with more than 350 different organizations in every industry you can imagine, helping them implement the methodology that I created in my company and now written three books about. And I built another company, High Performing Culture, that brings this concept, this methodology to people all over the world. And so that's the quick story of, so how did I get from where I was to here? Wow, that's awesome. And before we even go into the topic, you hit on something that I think is interesting, where you said when you were building your employee benefits firm, you believe that maybe 50% of the reason why customers bought was because of the culture. Talk to me a little bit about the connection between your workforce, employee, team member, culture, and how that can potentially affect and positively impact and negatively impact your sales? Yeah, it's a great question. So what I would say, Bruce, is that my observation is that in any group of people that comes together, whether it's a business, whether it's a family, a church group, a a sports team, whatever it is, take the Eagles for that that matter, that the culture in any organization has an enormous influence over every single thing that people do. You could take the exact same people, take your staff, take your staff, and if you put them in some other company that was doing similar you know, products as yours or services, those people would perform differently because they're in a different culture. That the culture influences, to, to go more directly to your question, the culture influences how they deal with customers, how they work together, how they deal with vendors, the kind of service they provide, the pride they take in the quality of their work. It affects everything that they do. And so, you know, I would say, you know, there's a lot of quotes about this. Sometimes you hear that there's a famous quote from Peter Drucker where he said that culture eats strategy for breakfast or lunch. I've heard both meals. I don't know which one he said. But, you know, we know that no matter how good your strategy is, how good your products are, you're only going so far as your people will take you. And if you've got a highly functioning group of people, you're going to take your product or strategy and you're going to go five or 10 times as far with that. And if you've got a screwed up dysfunctional group of people, you're not going to go very far. I don't care how good your product is. I mean, just look at your company. You've developed this wonderful product that can really make a difference for companies. And you're still only going to go as far with that product as your people are going to take you. You, you, you have high performing people and a high performing culture selling and servicing and producing that product. You're going to really rock and roll. And no matter how good your product is, if you've got a screwed up dis- dysfunctional group of people that don't work well together, that don't get customer service, you're not going to get very far. And it's all influenced by the culture. It's everything. I cannot agree with you more. I mean, everything that you said is exactly what we're going through. And luckily, we've been able to build a very strong team with a great culture that I can take 100% credit for because everyone is adding and building and culture is all fluid. And so everyone coming together has been fostering this great culture. And that's how we've been able to do a lot with, you know, a lean team. So but, but notice, notice the way you said that, Bruce. So you said, luckily, we've been able to put together a good culture. That's the operative word there. And so here's my observation. 
in most small to mid-sized companies, it's probably true in larger, but I just know the small and mid-sized company world well. Most leaders are like you. They're good people. They care about their people. It matters to them to do great stuff. And so because you do that, you naturally, luckily kind of assemble a group of people that are kind of like-minded. I often say that, that as a good leader, even if it isn't a strategy for you, you're going to hire mostly good people that are like you. Um, you're like a magnet and they glom onto you and they get attracted to you. And you're going to treat those people reasonably well, not because you read a book that said you should treat your people well. You wouldn't know how else. You're a good guy. You're going to do that. And if you do that, luckily, you'll have a pretty decent culture. But I would tell you that the best companies, the really extraordinary companies, there isn't any luck involved in this. It's so important to our success. Why would I leave that to chance or to luck? I should be as systematic about my culture as I am about my finances, my operations, my sales, my, you know, my every aspect of my company. I mean, if this is really critical to our bottom line, why would I leave any of that to luck? I ought to be systematic about it. And yet the interesting thing, again, my observation and experience is while that makes logical sense, most leaders of small to mid-sized companies are not systematic about it. Their, their culture is developed largely by accident. They just have nice people and they try to have a good environment and they try to treat them well. And yeah, hopefully that works out okay and it ends up to be a decent place. But if it's this critical to success, are we going to leave it to that? I think we ought to be a lot more systematic. And that's really what I write about and what I teach about. And I've created my whole company as a methodology, a very specific methodology that we bring people through to teach them exactly how to build a high-performing culture. So none of it's luck. I'm glad you really touched on that and you're bringing the methodology to your approach to this because on our podcast, we always like it to be as actionable as possible. So that our make this very actionable. <laughs> so with that being said, if we're going to make this actionable, I want to break this into a couple steps for the rest of the interview. So the first step is, what is a high-performing culture? What does that even mean? People throw it around all the time. It's become a buzz term. You have all these performance coaches. You now have people on Clubhouse talking about how great they can make your company and everywhere else where people find that there's an audience that will listen to them. What makes a high-performing culture? What does that really mean? Well, what it means to me is it means that everybody in the organization is performing at the highest level that they are capable of, that they're the best version of themselves. So that means your receptionist is an amazing receptionist, that he or she is just incredible at what they do, that your technical people are amazing at what they do, that those that are in customer service deliver service like you've never seen before. Those who are in sales are performing at the highest level, bringing in the most business, that at every function of the company, people are performing at the highest level that they themselves are capable of. Now, different people are capable of different things. So you want to get the most out of each person that you have and put people in the right environment. And it, it causes them to elevate their game. I'm going to sometimes say it this way, Bruce, that I think if you look at, if any of your listeners think about your companies, most of your employees exist on a typical bell curve. On one end of the spectrum, You've usually got five or 10% of your employees who I call these people rock stars. These people, you could put them in any environment and they're going to stand out because they're just how they are. They're just rock stars. On the other end of the spectrum, 
typically you've got five or ten percent of your people who I sometimes say it this way, they're going to stink up the joint no matter where you put them. You put these people in the best possible place and they're still not going to be very good because that's just who they are. But I would tell you that you've got about 80% of your employees who are going to go with the flow. You put those 80% of people in a high-performing environment, they will look around consciously and unconsciously and they'll figure out, I guess, I guess that's what they expect here, and they'll raise their level of play to match what they see going on around them. And you put those same people, exact same people, with whatever their skills, talent, knowledge, ability, experiences, you put those same people in a low-performing environment, those same people are going to sink to the level of the people around them because the environment influences them in that significant way. And that's why I say, well, shoot, if we know this, and think about this, if you've ever been on a, a championship sports team, or a band, or an orchestra, or any high-level program, you know this, that it just it causes you to elevate your game. So if we get that, we, I mean, you don't have to have a PhD to know this. We know this from our own experiences. If you get that, then as a leader, wouldn't you want to create that environment that would cause everybody to raise their level? That would seem pretty obvious. Most don't do it. Got it. All right, so now that I know what I'm striving for and – the aspirational level of what I want my high-performing culture to look like, where do I start? What's the first thing that I'm doing? Am I creating a business plan for this to happen, a slide deck? Am I doing surveys to understand who's high-performing versus not? What does that look like? Yeah, it's so easy, Bruce. I'm going to make this really simple for your listeners because I'm all about making things simple. So, there are, I'm going to tell you exactly how to do it so your listeners can walk away from this podcast and go do something. So there are, in the big picture, there's eight steps that it takes to really build a high-performing culture. But we're going to cut through that, and we're just going to get to two of them. Because there are two of them that if you do these two things, you're going to be 90% of the way down the road to success. And if you don't do these two things, you're not getting very far. So let me tell you the two things it takes. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to, this is obvious, but you've got to define with tremendous clarity exactly what you want your culture to be. Now, I say this is obvious because how could you build a high-performing culture if you don't know what you're trying to build in the first place? And yet most people don't do this very well. Now, when we talk about how to define a culture, so what is it that you're trying to build? I'm going to be really, I'm going to give you a, a twist on something that most people don't think about. And that is that I make a really big deal about the difference between what people call values and what I call behaviors, because it's a really important difference. A value, everybody's got their core values and their vision and their mission, all this stuff, which is usually mostly fluff. But a value is an abstract concept, quality, teamwork, integrity, loyalty, respect, etc. A behavior, though, is an action. It's something I can see people do. So some of the behaviors that we teach in our company, just as an example, to give your listeners a, a sample of this, are things like honor commitments. That's something you do. Practice blameless problem solving. Get clear on expectations. Be a fanatic about response time. Do what's best for the customer. These are actions. So a value is an abstract idea. Behavior is an action. The reason this is relevant and not just a bunch of semantics, is that the way most companies use those traditional-looking core values, they're so abstract that they mean too many different things to different people, and they become very difficult to operationalize. 
it's very hard to coach people about their values. Behaviors, though, because they're action-oriented, are a lot easier to teach and coach and guide and give people feedback about. They're easier to operationalize. So the first step is that we've got to define exactly what you want your culture to be in terms of the set of behaviors that you say as a leader, if I could get my people doing these things more consistently, we're going to kick some butt in our marketplace. I give those behaviors a name. It's just my own nomenclature. I call them fundamentals because they're fundamental to success. So the first thing we have to do is we've got to define what is it we're trying to build in terms of this set of behaviors. Now, the second step is really the game changer in all of this. And this is so simple. I call it creating rituals. So a ritual is some behavior, some habit, some routine that we do. You go to a ball game, we do the national anthem. You get up in the morning, you brush your teeth. You know, when we were kids in school, we used to say the Pledge of Allegiance. It's a routine. The reason that rituals are so important is that most of us aren't very good at sticking with things. We come up with all kinds of wonderful ideas, and then we get busy after a few months, and they all fade away, and they become the flavor of the month. When something's a ritual, it's not hard to do. It's just part of our routine. So the way we use that simple concept is we take these fundamentals, these behaviors, we roll it out to the company in really interactive, engaged sessions, and then we begin to focus on one fundamental every week through a series of rituals. Let me give a simple example. In my company, one of the fundamentals, that, that one of the rituals that we do every week to practice our fundamentals is that um, we take every time we have a meeting in our company, whether it's a project team meeting, a department meeting, even a Zoom meeting, if we have a meeting going on in our company this week, every one of those meetings, the first agenda item of the meeting is the fundamental of the week. And we spend the first three or four minutes talking about it. We don't want to take over the meeting, but the first few minutes of every single meeting everywhere in my company this week is a few-minute discussion of the fundamental of the week. It's just what we do. So if this week, every single meeting we're talking about this week's fundamental, and next week we do next week's fundamental, and next week the next one, and we keep cycling through them, sooner or later, these just start to become internalized in our people. So what we do is we roll this out, and then we create a series of, of, of repetitious rituals to focus on, think about, work on, practice this week's fundamental, and again, do that over and over and over again, it's going to sink in. So in its simplest form, if I just distill it down to its simplest thinking, I say it this way. If you want to get a group of human beings to behave in a consistent way, the key to it is we have to define in really clear terms the behaviors that drive success, and then we have to create a structured, systematic way to teach those behaviors over and over and over and over and over again. We do that. Our people are going to internalize it. We're going to build a high-performing culture. And all I've done is build all of the tools and resources and systems around doing that simple idea. It's really that simple. The majority of our audience is made up of HR and people operations leaders. (laughs) And so as we're speaking to them, I'm sure they're thinking, this all sounds awesome and amazing, but who should be responsible for this? Yeah, it's a good question. Should this come from the CEO and then the HR helps to implement it? Should the HR people ops person do this and then try to get buy-in from HR and C-suite to then push down? Is it a conference room session, Saturday morning coffee room session, everybody comes together and then figure this out and then everyone disseminates it equally? What does that look like? Yeah, it's a great question. So I say, Bruce, that the single 
most important ingredient in the success of any culture initiative is what I call CEO sponsorship. It really does have to start at the top. The CEO has to be the one that he or she says, this is a priority for our company. If we don't have that sponsorship, we're not getting very far. Now, to your point, HR usually plays a very important implementation role. So the HR department has a role to play in bringing the people together and, and you know, helping to practice the fundamentals and everything else. But at the end of the day, rarely is it successful if, you're, if the CEO hasn't bought in. Um, you know, if, if the CEO is in what I would call go-along mode, if your HR leader who's listening to this goes to their CEO and says, you know, hey, boss, I heard this great idea. I think we should do this. And the boss says, yeah, go ahead if you want. It's not going anywhere. The CEO has to be bought in and say, yep, this is a priority for us. If we don't have that, you're not going to be very successful. And then the last question that I have for you is the difference between a performance culture versus performance reviews. As an analytics company, we're very familiar with the hundreds of performance management systems out there. And so when a lot of companies think about performance, they think about the actual reviews. So the appraisals or the one-on-ones, the check-ins, the OKRs. But what you're talking about doesn't necessarily sound like a 360 review of how someone's doing, but this is more holistic and really has surface area across the entire organization in regards to how does the organization run and operate and at the heartbeat and the core of the business. So if you could just differentiate between those two, what does that look like? Yeah, I think the way you just described it, Bruce, is a very accurate way of thinking of it, that we're trying to create an environment that causes people to perform at the highest level that they can possibly perform. And it is the heartbeat. It's the environment. It's everything that we're doing. Now, we're doing, we're using a very specific methodology to create that environment. Um, but that's what really what we're creating. Now, a performance review is an element, is a procedure inside the holistic view of creating a high-performing culture. Well, performance reviews play a very important role in meeting with individual members of the team to give them feedback. How are they doing? And seeing how I'm the manager. How can I support them? How can I help them to achieve at the highest level? So performance reviews are an important ingredient in the overall picture of creating a high-performing environment. But we're talking about in in the work that I do, we're looking at this in a larger, more holistic way. Um, How do we create that environment that causes everybody to perform at their highest level? David, I wish we had more time because I'm learning so much from you here. But unfortunately, we're going to have to end it here. You've been such an awesome podcast guest. You've really touched on a lot of things that I'm sure everyone in our audience is always looking to learn more about. So thanks for dropping so much wisdom and knowledge from your own experience, but then also how you're helping other HR leaders. So again, thanks again for being on the show. If people want to get to us, Bruce, uh, best place book is Culture by Design or checking our website, culturewise.com, and you can learn a lot more there. I was just about to ask you that. So well, there you go. You my job for me. And we'll include all that contact info in the show notes. So for everyone out there listening, if you enjoyed this episode as much as David and I did making it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes because it shows that you care and that we're creating great content. 
Also, if this is your very first time listening to one of our interviews and now you're hungry for more awesome podcasts, please subscribe to Employee Cycle on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and any other major podcast platform. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.